This episode of 64, a chess podcast, is sponsored by Aim Chess. Use code DAVID30 to get 30% off your first month with Aim Chess and start improving your chess today. David here. Um, before the episode begins, I just want to have a little disclaimer. I've been saying that with my code David30 with AimChess, you can get 30% off your entire subscription in previous episodes. Um, that was a misunderstanding on my end. It's just 30% off the first month, though they may be extending it for a second month, so stay tuned for that. But I hope you guys have all been enjoying AimChess. It's a great app, and uh, I really apologize for the confusion. And uh, I hope you keep enjoying the app. It's like I said, it's fantastic. Uh, it's one of the best things it was a dream for them to sponsor me i've been using it for months even before they reached out to me so yeah anyway here's the episode with aaron thompson i really hope you guys enjoy and with that being said let's get right into it welcome back to 64 a chess podcast my name is david i'm joined today by aaron thompson who is working with chess and slums as its director of outreach and administration it's gonna be a great episode we're gonna talk a lot about chess in africa we're gonna talk about tournament direction and we're going to keep talking about chess. So, Aaron, welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, thank you for having me. Um, this is my first podcast interview, so I'm honestly really, I'm really honored. And uh, I appreciate the, uh, you know, the support for, for chess and slums and, you know, children in uh, Africa and Nigeria. Yeah, no, really, thank you for coming on. Um, I first was introduced to chess and slums when I had joined chess Twitter. You can obviously follow the podcast on Twitter at 64 podcast. You can also follow Aaron on Twitter at AAR underscore T H O M Air Tom. Uh, nice handle. Um, but this is one of the first things I saw on Twitter is actually was uh, Tunde Onokoya's work in Nigeria um, in slums of Nigeria, uh, teaching kids chess. And so that was actually one of the first things I saw. And I remember immediately thinking I need to have uh, this story on my podcast at some point. And I've grown a little bit since then, and I was fortunate enough uh, to contact you, and you know we we mutually agreed that we should do this podcast episode, and I'm really excited to have you on. Um, just before we begin, I do want to thank the sponsor of the podcast once again, Aim Chess, for sponsoring this podcast. Um, I also want to say that I've created a Patreon page, so if you like the podcast, you want to support it, um, you can find it at Patreon.com/sixty-four-podcast. It's linked in my Twitter. Uh, the subscription tiers are very, very low. I think like the lowest one is like a dollar. Uh, so if you want to help me buy Reese's puffs, um, sorry, what are they called? Reese's cups at seven 11. Yeah. Um, you can do that $1 a month. And, um, if you pay over $3 a month, you'll have access to the 64 inbox, which is a new thing that I will debut in the next few episodes, probably where listeners can actually submit questions for guests. I will never, ever charge listeners to listen to the podcast. Every episode will always be free. There's no early access, but, you know, it's a lot of work to produce a podcast. Um, and if you want to support in any way, I think Patreon is a great way to go. So, yeah, I uh, just wanted to plug that. And uh, now that I've gotten all that out of the way, 
let's begin. So um, first things I was kind of curious about, well, for me, I think it's very obvious why we should teach kids chess. But I wonder if you could just kind of speak to that, both as a tournament director and just as somebody who is, who's passionate about like world issues. Uh, you know, why is chess such a good thing to keep, teach children? Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's a really great point to start this off. And, and I'll obviously get into like what my role within chess and slums is later on in this podcast. But the way that I think that chess should really operate under is kind of as a bit of a mode, either as a mode for like uh, allowing people to think more uh, freely and being able to, you know, have this, uh, say specifically analytical thinking and allows people to maybe, you know, learning chess might not help people with specific like math questions, for example. What it does is it provides the value and it provides the importance of education. Um, a while ago, I spoke to some, uh, some of the Nigerian youth within chess and slums, and they were asking me, they said, hey, I want to be an electrical engineer, or I want to be an engineer. How will chess help me get there? And so what I said was that you won't necessarily get the specific skills and the specific attributes for electrical engineering, but what you can do is you're almost inspired that these things are possible and that there are ways in which you can think about the world that's not necessarily hemmed in to say poverty or hemmed into um, some frame of mind, you know? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I, I also think that um, it, like I spoke to uh, Derek Wilder um, very early on and he was a coach of elementary school in Detroit. And he said a lot of those same things. It teaches people how to sit down and study. It teaches you, you know, like th those kinds of things, you know, a lot of people kind of associate chess with, you know, the genius mathematicians and all that. I don't really think that's true. It's nice for chess players that people, you know, think you play chess and you're some brilliant mastermind. That's, I don't think that's true at all. Um, but, you know, I do think you get these kinds of skills of just about sitting down, learning things on your own, that, that, that stuff that, that lasts a lifetime, no matter where you are. Um, and I recently had a uh, woman international master, Jesse February, who's from South Africa. And she talked about a little bit, didn't really go into that much, but she did talk about the chess scene in Africa. Um, there really is not a lot of institutional support across the board in Africa. Uh, and now you have this initiative to bring chess to Africa. Um, so I guess like where I want to start this off with chess and slums is why specifically Nigeria? Um, do you know? And uh, yeah, I guess we'll just start there. Yeah, yeah. So I think one really interesting thing about me, like being part of this organization is that I'm actually the only non Nigerian administrator or uh, team lead within the organization. It's entirely front to back, uh, a Nigerian based organization. And so I like when I joined later on, um, I, I realized, coming on, okay, I'm, I can only do this with a certain amount of capacity, because I'm international, I'm not actually in Nigeria, I'm in California, right. So the reason for it being in Nigeria is simply because, say, people like uh, Tunde Onokoya, who's the convener and the leader of Chess and Slums, he actually himself grew out of Nigerian poverty. So it, it touches the core of a lot of like those that we work with, that it's not necessarily some outside force coming in to change poverty or change the landscape to their direction but it's doing so to the people that it's actually impacting. And that's who we're really leading towards. Um, 
you know, and it's, it's really beautiful to kind of watch that because what happens is, you know, you'll have these children who have very specific goals in mind and they have very specific things in which they'll value success. For example, education, getting a roof over their head. And so, you know, the only success that we find is in say the needs of Nigerian poverty being met by the organization. Um, and the dichotomy that forms within, I mean, we can talk about this later on as well, um, but the dichotomy that forms within the scope of Nigerian culture is also really interesting because it provides this very, very unique uh, hope for the future that I think um, really, really is always needed, you know, and, and it's always like, and, and so seeing this beam of light, like chess and slums is something that really uh, showcases how uh, poverty can be a limiter in the world, you know. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, and uh, how did you exactly get involved? Um, yeah, yeah. So my uh, role within the chess community over the years has actually morphed and changed over time. So I started out as like a, uh, a regular USCF player. Um, and I had a, you know, a national master coach who I met in, in middle school. He was my PE teacher. Um, uh, rest in peace to uh, Paul Gagos. But um, so I was playing tournaments and I played like one a month uh, for years and years, um, you know, until maybe like mid high school, very early college. And what happened is kind of going into Merced. So I go to UC Merced. Um, there weren't as many tournaments there. So I was like, okay, I, you know, I, I, and I had directed some tournaments with USCF alongside notable tournament directors within the community. Um, for example, at like the Mechanics Institute or the uh, Golden Gate uh, Chess Association. And um, what happened was I realized that, hey, this is actually possible for me to do on my own. And so working alongside uh, Judith Starek at uh, Mechanics, she helped me get the tools to actually run this thing on my own. And so I, I had transitioned something like chess skills to specifically tournament directing skills with USCF. And I ran many tournaments out of the UC. And then from there, I started to branch out a little bit. I hosted a tournament with UCLA. And then I realized, hey, I can, you know, I, I just joined Twitter at the time. I, I reached out to uh, Tunde on, you know, and he was a lot smaller on Twitter at the time. I was like, hey, you know, I have the, I have the tools to orchestrate a match between the UC Merced chess team and the kids at your academy. Um, and so from there, I mean, we worked together for a few months in planning for this and it was, it was really beautiful. Like the, the, the chemistry that he and I have in terms of like getting things done, it, it was something that I really did not expect, especially considering like the differences in like time zones and, um, you know, the requirement, like the sheer requirements to get this type of thing done. And it worked amazingly smoothly. And so from there, that tournament was a, was a really fun success. It was actually, a, they held us to a draw, they held the UC team to a draw. And so from there, I was like, hey, um, you know, uh, Chess and Slums was currently working on some partnerships. So I joined in uh, around that time as their director of outreach and kind of continued the work that I was doing towards future projects. And so here I am six months later. I, I'm also directing tournaments with uh, uh, some other chess organizations within um, the United States. But I'm still here as, the, uh, as one of the administrators of Chess and Slums and as their director of outreach. And it's been just totally, it's been very mind blowing, but it's been beautiful, really. And I'm grateful. So um, I have a couple of questions that I've written down here. Uh, the first thing I kind of want to ask is, 
what are the specific initiatives of Chess and Slums? Uh, like what, what kind of yeah. things are you looking basically, I mean, again, you're not on the ground there. Uh, you're speaking, you know, as a director of outreach on a podcast. Um, and I, by the way, I do ha- want to ask, um, what our listeners, uh, can do to help later on, but I guess that's where I want to start is just like, what are some of the key initiatives that you guys are looking for right now? And like, what kind of growth are you guys kind of looking for? Yeah, yeah. So this is actually a really interesting question. And and I'll sort of start by almost addressing like the way in which organizations work. Because you can say, hey, if let's just say you you run a bank, their banking department, their finance department is what they're going to be leading with. Chess and slums is very interesting because it kind of leads with a few different um, a few different aspects. Number one, say like either with social media or with different uh, expansive projects. That's kind of what it leads with. So you can say the philanthropy, the philanthropy pillar, um, like chess education, and the ability to kind of reach out to other organizations. Those are ones that we find really core to chess and slums. So a lot of the projects that we do and a lot of the momentum that we pull come as different forms of those three. Um, you know, in the past, what we've done is we've gone to different communities and different slum communities, and um, host different events. Uh, and so like, you know, creating a training center uh, and uh, then reaching out to organizations to offer scholarships to these children. Um, and so we did that in uh, this community known as uh, Magidum. And then we recently did it in Makoko. Um, I'm sure you've seen the story of Ferdinand, the boy with cerebral palsy. That was part of that Makoko uh, chess dream trip is what it's known as. And then from there, you know, we're planning on either going to some more countries, uh, continuing outreach uh, globally with Chess Beyond Borders, which is another outreach arm of Chess and Slums in which we're going to kind of apply the same concepts um, that we're doing within Nigeria to the forms of which poverty takes in other countries. Um, one of which that we're immediately looking at is Burkina Faso. Um, uh, and so from there, you know, it really depends on what comes up, you know? So people might reach out to us, say, whether it's like uh, David Lada, Fide, uh, whether it's like Sterling Bank, uh, who were recently taking on with a partnership, uh, which, is a, which is a very large like Nigerian bank in the country. Um, but it really comes in the form of being adaptive and having the infrastructure in place to capitalize on possible successes. That's really what it comes down to, you know? Um, before I continue, you did mention uh, Makoko, and I did want to talk about this. Uh, I was just wondering, because um, I have quite a few listeners uh, who do not come from Twitter, and they may have not heard of the story. So I don't know how much uh, you know about it, uh, but I don't like think I know the, the whole story. So, you know, if you could, uh, if you could share like that whole everything that happened, I think listeners will really appreciate that. Sure, sure. Um, and yeah, no, I mean, I, it's funny. I actually was able to uh, get on a video call with, with uh, Ferdinand himself. This was, uh, I think, a few months ago. So it's, it's, it's really interesting, and I'm sure your listeners will find it really inspiring. So during our trip, about like midway through the first week or in the second, or in the like late, like late first week, mid first week around there, um, we have these training sessions with the community of Makoko. And so as time goes on, more and more people are trying to come in. And so 
what happened was there was this young boy with spastic cerebral palsy and he was getting bullied by his peers, um, you know, for having those uh, physical deformities. And so, you know, uh, we ended up bringing him in just to teach him chess. And we realized that this, this boy was a smart and he really quickly picked up on, on the, uh, on the tools of chess. So, you know, we realized this when we're sitting down to, you know, learn how to set up a board and we teach him a few times, very like, you know, you don't really expect someone to learn how to set up a board immediately. And so we're doing exercises and he, he's like one of the first people to do it. And it's like, okay, wow, this is, this is going to be amazing. So we're realizing that potential and we're kind of going through and he's continuing to prove himself as a savant. So we get to this, you know, what, what we capped the, the Makoko chess stream off was with a tournament with all the kids. And there's photos that have circulated around, um, around uh, Twitter. Uh, I like to highlight um, this Twitter account at uh, the Kesho. Um, he was one of the main photographers for the event and he captured Ferdinand holding up a trophy because he won his section. He won the entire section that he was playing in. And, so and he had just been introduced to chess. He had, yeah, two weeks before playing in that tournament. Granted, like we had set up that tournament and a lot of the kids were new to chess, but it was amazing. It was like, wow, not only like did this show of potential take place, but it actually translated into a, a win in his section. And so from there, you know, the story got, went viral, got picked up by a ton of news outlets. Uh, when Tunde posted about it, it went viral many times. Um, talking like 9,000, 10,000 retweets um, for these posts that he's making about him uh, to the point in which he's getting direct support and, and the governor of Lagos, which is one of the largest um, states in Nigeria, the governor of Lagos actually was willing to support him and his family, both their education and their livelihood for a very long period of time. And so they met and they played chess, but you know, it really shows the power of not only having that story and having that potential, but being able to capitalize on that potential, right? In order to get to uh, translating, translating a vision. Right, and that's that's the power of of, uh, of social media too. Is you, you get you get these connections, you get these these stories that that nobody would have heard of otherwise. And I, I mean, I remember seeing the picture of uh, Ferdinand playing with uh, with the governor. I was like, that's crazy. And then, then hearing that he got all the support, like that is just that is just wonderful. It reminded me a lot of, uh, you know, the story of Tani, Tani Adewumi? I, I do, I do. Yeah, yeah. It, it had like, uh, it, it gave me very um, uh, fond memories of that story because it's, it's, it's heartwarming in the same way that mm-hmm. uh, someone someone gets, uh, gets like finds himself in chess and, and really gets to like, uh, you know, now it's being supported to play chess, which is just, which is just amazing and, and wonderful. And um, yeah, I mean, that, that was really heartwarming story. So first of all, thank you for sharing it. Um, Cause I think I would have missed out some details probably. Uh, <laughs> no, I wasn't no there. Yeah. No. Um, so you're the director of outreach. Um, what are your responsibilities on a day to day? And what are you kind of looking for right now? Uh in terms of support, I know you mentioned that you have sponsors coming in, but surely that it, you're, it's a lot more complicated than just, you know, looking for some sponsors and, you know, sailing all the way. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a really that's a really apt question. I mean, it's kind of I'll answer it in two parts. Um, I would say first off, in terms of my role within Chess and Slums, a lot of it comes down to uh, not only strategy but kind of refinement of of the mission that we're holding on to. You know, for example, the stories that we're telling, with even even within a bubble, have kind of changed over time. From hey, this is somebody who, you know. We, we don't necessarily have people in our corner to, you know, uh, we don't necessarily have people in our corner to propel these stories, or we don't necessarily have a community that we're a part of, to now being very immersed, not only in Nigerian culture, but also, say, like, the chess community um, globally, you know, the political structure within Nigeria. And so we're almost, like, trying to take these projects that we're doing and this mission and applying it to all these different forms. Um, and so say what, what might happen is Tende and I, you know, we get in a ton of these like really like late night, either his time or my time, these late night, uh, like backroom meetings. And we'll just talk and talk and talk about like, okay, if we, if we are going to approach some partnership with this mindset, how effective will it be in, in terms of translating the mission and translating the vision on to what really matters, which is actually getting the kids out of poverty and being able to support them for their lives, you know? Because sure, you can go into Makoko and you can, and I can say this, most of the time this has happened. It is not like a minority, right? Most of the time people go into Makoko and they want to treat it as a photo op. They want to treat it, okay, I'm going to film some, some beautiful children there and, you know, I want to, you know, inspire people and then they'll do nothing about it. Right, it's like the, the white savior photography. I, I've seen that, you know, all through all throughout college, the kids who go, Go, they do a little summer there and they come home and you forget about everything that they were supposed to do there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and, and so, you know, you compare something like that to what Chess and Slums is with, say, Makoko, which is Nigerian-led. It's, it's Nigerian-founded. The founder has come out of poverty himself. And we're not satisfied at the photo op or even, even one child. You know, there, there are like hundreds of children within Makoko. So, you know, it's not like there's any satisfaction with only, you know, I'm using the word saving lightly, um, but, you know, being able to support or save one child, you know, it's, it's really like the mission ends and the mission uh, can feel satisfactory once we've really supported all children, you know. So to what extent is, uh, is the chest there to kind of uplift people financially? And to what extent is it more of an avenue to enrich lives in slums? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a great question. I, I think what it what it is is almost like a universal language in a sense of like, hey, if you see children in poverty uh, being able to play chess, that really translates to a direct show of the potential that they have, right? If they can do this with chess, why can't they do that with whatever they're passionate about in life, right? So that can apply itself in a lot of different ways. So, for example, literally giving them direct hope you know i'm i don't know if you've seen a photo but there's there's one of the most impactful photos i've ever seen in my life genuinely was a picture with ferdinand after winning the tournament with his mother and like you know at this point she's been interviewed by say like the guardian and all these different news outlets but the moment after that happened you can tell that even if nothing had come out of it that her life had changed and that she had viewed the way that the world treated Ferdinand as so much differently, you know? So that alone is incredibly powerful, but also 
that's a language and chess is a language that say, you know, sponsors understand and that, you know, being able to, um, you know, do things in the world, that that's what people understand. It's kind of similar to that of art. Whereas if someone in, in poverty makes a beautiful art piece uh, out of tools that they have or out of um, not, not tools in the literal sense, but just tools like in the world, right? Um, that translates to, wow, you know, this, this person is somebody that we should care about. And so chess kind of operates as similar to that. And so not only are you lift, uplifting hope in terms of uh, what people can accomplish, but also direct finance, you know, direct uh, home situation, um, education, really covers a lot of different bases, which is what makes this as strong as it is, you know. No, yeah, of course. Um, and, you know, actually uh seeing fernand's mom and actually fernand's story being picked up by major outlets uh that kind of shattered in a good way this misconception that i had which is that well you know it's very hard to access these these slums it's very hard to access these places these people um who are living in abject poverty and that's just not true because when you have a heartfelt story suddenly everybody's able to make these connections and so have you found that it's kind of easier to get people to to access the heart of these places like Makoko in um, like the most impoverished places in Nigeria. Uh, and yeah, I guess that's where I'll start. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I'll, I'll sort of, I'll sort of touch on not, not only how say like us as Americans might view poverty, but also say poverty within Nigeria, like encapsulated within it. I think sometimes, you know, in different ways, both kind of view poverty, at least like in the, the greater culture, I'm not necessarily talking about you or I, but it's almost like a dirtiness or this kind of like grime uh, that almost covers their situation. And I think that that's probably the saddest part is almost like there's this physical repulsion from dealing with problems in part because it's almost like they view themselves as being morally or uh, just uh, you know, morally or personally better than a lot of who they really need to be helping. And so, you know, and, and, I'll, and I'll, give a, I'll give you an example of something we did for this tournament, right? Because I guess this is, this is the main topic of this discussion. Uh, what we, we made a very conscious decision to dress the boys in, in suits and the girls in dresses, similar to that of like Beth Harmon and Queen's Gambit. And we did that because it's this direct confrontation to this vision that slums are, I mean, physically, I'm not going to lie. Like the unfortunate thing is the living conditions are poor, but I'm talking more about like the morality in that sense. Right. Like if you're dressing up children in, in suits and like thing and business attire, essentially, that is a way of saying, Hey, let me make something that people subconsciously kind of want to avoid and making that as, direct as possible, you know, and, and making people kind of like stare in the face of the, the beauty that uh, can come out of uh, slums or poverty or anything like that, you know? No, for sure. And I mean, without getting too political, um, I, I, I think you're 100% correct about, you know, Western culture and its approach to poverty. But without getting too political, I will just say that, you know, the, the, the dominant religion when America was founded kind of had this twist in like classical catholicism you have like the belief that you know and in other religions you know the, the poorer you are 
you're, you're destined for a bigger reward in the afterlife. And then when they got to America, there's all these concepts like the city on the hill, like, no, the richer you are, the, the bigger your reward is. And I think that kind of mentality has, you know, over 300 years has, has seeped its way into America. When, you know, you look at the discourse on homelessness, for example, which is a rising crisis in major cities like New York, where I'm from, or Seattle, where I recently was, where um, people try to treat homelessness either as, a, as something that needs to be completely avoided, something you don't talk about, you know, you just kind of brush people off and hide them away. Or, you know, there's just absolutely disgusting rhetoric about human beings. And so um, I think you're on the money. And I think that's why it's so important to, to support like the, the work that you guys are doing. Um, and so there are a couple of things that I want to ask on my end now, um, just on behalf of the listeners. First of all, I want to sure. start by asking, like, what can the average listener do to help? Uh, somebody who hears a story, hears us talking and says, I want, I want to help uh, children in Nigeria uh, get access to good chess education. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of this has to do with capacity, you know, uh, especially like being within either like the U.S. or Nigeria, because I'm sure that you're going to, um, uh, like David, I'm sure you're going to get some Nigerian listeners who are listening to this podcast who are asking the same thing, actually, um, off the result of me coming on. I think that it really has to do with what you can provide. If you don't have the money to support and you, you personally are not in a position to, there's no shame in not putting up money to, to support this. However, you know, even things like, even the smallest sign of empathy, like sharing uh, the stories that we put up, following Tunde or I or Chess and Slums uh, on social medias, you know, those are, are very meaningful. Um, currently we're, in the process of working on a, a website, which should be out, um, depending on, I mean, it, it's currently out. It's, it's still in development, but it is out, which should give a very clear uh, understanding of like, say donation links, who our staff is, um, ways that you can support. Um, because there's, there's different donations, like there, yeah, there are different donation links. For example, GoFundMe, um, is not run in there. That's very much for, uh, it's very much for like US citizens with US dollars, right? Versus say, um, uh, Nigerian bank information to deposit in there. Both are helpful, but the clarification on what those are is something that you can probably find on the website. And if it's not there, it will be in development. You can find this at chessandslumsafrica.com and you can kind of search through tabs and figure out more information. So not only can you find the donation links and the information there, but you can also find um, a lot about what we're doing, uh, mission statements, things like that. Um, it's a very centralized place that we'll be using over time. Now, do you know in terms of like chess education, who, because I've, I've actually looked at the Nigerian FIDE rating list not that this really matters, but I've noticed, well, you know, part of, I think there's two things. First of all, um, as my last guest talked about, typically because I imagine there's not as many high level tournaments in place like Africa, you don't have as strong players just in terms of rating, even though that may not be true in a skill level. Um, but really why I'm asking is, um, do you have like master players coming to teach? Do you have people giving lessons online? Um, like, how exactly does that that aspect work? Because we may have a listener here who is like yeah, a yeah. player who may want to help, uh, you know, maybe give a few lessons virtually or send books. Sure, sure. Um, I 
I think the best, so, you know, and, and we've actually gotten in contact ourselves with quite a few masters. Um, for example, I think the most recent uh, being like a little bit of uh, conversation with say like Maurice Ashley, uh, Jennifer Sahade with, within the US, um, as well as many, many other uh, GMs, IMs, FMs, masters, you know, who, who have reached out. But within Nigeria, within the Nigerian chess culture, because that's a little bit of the question you're asking. So we are actually in contact with the, with uh, one of the Nigerian chess champions. Um, and he runs an organization known as uh, the Danny Pro Chess Academy. And so we run tournaments out of that academy um, monthly for the children. And we have a little cash prize that's recently, like within the past, uh, within a, uh, the past month, it's been supported by Sterling Bank, which I had uh, touched on earlier on. And so if you're local, if you're local within Nigeria and you're a master and you're really looking to get in contact, I would say going to one of those tournaments and giving a live lesson would be the best way to go. Outside of, uh, outside of Nigeria, with, if, you're, if you're global, I would honestly just recommend DMing me on Twitter um, because what I can essentially do is say, hey, you know, this is somebody who wants to reach out, this is somebody who wants to give lessons, uh, and then we can kind of institute a structure around those lessons, you know. And we've done that in the past. Um, we've had a candidate master uh, from D.C. who is very uh, powerful within the, uh, within the uh, movement towards empowering women. We brought him on as part of a fundraiser in January to teach a lesson and to get people involved. And so we can definitely do the same thing with future masters or, or people who are even interested in uh, volunteering, either within Nigeria or outside. You know, we're bringing in waves of volunteers over time. And it's funny, like within the past few weeks and months, we've actually been working on new infrastructure to support volunteers. So the timing of this and your question is, is really apt. But um, yeah, I hope that answers it. Yeah, and then I guess um, the last thing I want to talk about is I saw some rumblings. Um, well, you mentioned that you're looking to expand in other countries like Burkina Faso, which is, I think, in West Africa, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I also I saw you mentioned something about maybe doing chess and slums in like Palestine, uh, where, of course, you know, in, with, again, without getting too much into the, the political situation there, you know, there's kind of a little situation of, uh, you know, us, uh, unrest. Yeah, there's unrest and there's, uh, you know, there are certain communities in uh, Palestinian territories slash Palestine where uh, people really live in terrible conditions. And so I, I guess I'm wondering, like, what are your plans to kind of expand this initiative? And um, is the focus also to have it, for example, you talk about chess and slums being Nigerian based. If you're to move to Burkina Faso, the hope is maybe to keep it uh, with people who are from there. Yeah, and, and that's that's actually a, a wonderful question um, because it has, it, it, you know, with this Chess Beyond Borders movement, and this is mainly just an arm of chess and slums, I think for now we're very much core and rooted in Nigeria. Right. For maybe 10 years, that might change, but for now, very much rooted in Nigeria. What, what we really want to do is within other countries is to have a stable structure set up that's led by people and people who are really deep in the community of whatever country they're in. For example, I, Tunde and I both cannot go to uh, a place like Palestine, 
but we have currently acquired some connections in Palestine um, through the help of somebody who uh, has reached out to us. We've acquired some connections within Palestine and they have an, a knowledge of who might be interested in chess, what the chess community can look like. And um, so that's something that we're really, really working to uh, set up over time. And same thing with Burkina Faso is that, you know, we might, I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna go to Burkina Faso. That's, that's gonna be something that Tunde will go to. But, um, you know, going, leaving an impact while, while he's there or, and, while, and while Chess and Slums is there. But then once we exit, it's almost like being able to capitalize then on the inspiration and the momentum that that trip has left. And that's, that can only really be mainly held by the people who are living there. Right. And even though that's not really with people who are like within Nigeria, that can still be a part of Chess and Slums. It can be, you know, with Chess Beyond Borders. Um, and that's kind of like one of the directions that we're looking at, you know. Um, something I just thought of right now that I didn't have written down for my preparation. Uh, how long? So I assume Chess and Slums has, has gone on for quite a while. Um, but how has the coronavirus, the whole pandemic kind of in, impacted the mission? Yeah, yeah. So... Um, I, I think what has happened is, I think for one thing, in terms of our online success during the pandemic, it was actually quite strong, um, positively. Um, I don't, there's not, there's not me saying that the pandemic is a good thing. No, no, of course. Um, what happened is I think more people were online and also were suffering a little bit and like globally people had, I think, a little bit extra empathy than they might normally have had. And so the stories that we were telling, actually, we got a massive boost in audience um, during, during that time period. You, you can attribute that to a lot of things, and I would attribute that to that growth to more than just coronavirus. But I think that, in general, kind of the uplifting nature of hope is really something that people needed. Um, and so, you know, if people are really, really having a hard time during the pandemic, something like this can really shine. You know? Right, I understand. Um, and that's what happened, you know. Yeah, so, I mean, those are all the questions that I kind of had. I did want to mm -hmm. kind of talk a little bit about you as a chess player. Uh, so chess podcast, after all. Uh, you mentioned <laughs> that you're a tournament director, but how did you actually, how do you actually get into the game? Yeah, yeah. So it, it's kind of funny because as far as like me being in the chess community as like a chess player and whatnot, I, I kind of think of myself as a bit of a middle child in a sense of like, I'm not one of these like old heads who sticks just to manuals and rejects all this new stuff and, you know, uh, you know refuses to watch any chess streams. I'm not quite like that. But at the same time, I'm not like a super heavy like YouTube chess watcher or, or chess, chess viewer. Um, and so, you know, for example, in terms of openings, I might not use like a chessable course. I'll still use an informant. You know, it's like, I'll, I have a bit of like, you know, classic backdrops of like books and that's the way I study, you know? Um, and so I kind of started in the chess world kind of through that, a bit of a more traditional uh, playing sense, you know? And so, you know, I hit, I think within USCF around like 17, 1800. And then I kind of transitioned into tournament directing and then into chess and slums. Um, 
recently I played in the uh, uh, the National Open, the U.S. National Open, which was in Vegas. Vegas, you played there. Oh, that's all. That's great because I want to. I want to <laughs> actually interview somebody who played there. I didn't even know. Yeah, that. yeah. Um, I took a I took a piss right next to uh, Gotham Chess, which was kind of fun. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, no, it, it's kind of interesting though because. You know, if, if I'm kind of like drifting off in this other direction, I still value myself as a chess player, you know. Um, <laughs> I don't know if there's an earthquake going on with the building, but the whole, the whole building just shook. Um, Boy. Uh, <laughs> the whole building is shaking right now. Hold on one second. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, all right. Very good. Yeah, so, you know, within the chess community, I have kind of drifted off from specifically tournament playing and even like tournament directing to some extent. Um, as I focused more on chess and slums and, you know. Oh, there's the earthquake right now. Uh, 3.6 magnitude earthquake in California. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. Like, like from like. You can probably even like leave that in. That's just like a funny, that's a funny tidbit, you know. Like yeah. look, next time you're going to have a, a, a notable earthquake hit, hit in the middle. No, no, no. Yeah, I, that's, that's crazy. That's, uh, it's, it says uh, 11 kilometers east, southeast of Angwin, California. I don't know if you know where that is. <laughs> That is hilarious. Yeah, it's like, I was like, dude, like, because I thought it was just like, I, it was weird because I thought it was like my upstairs neighbor, but I'm on the top floor. So it <laughs> makes sense. Um, but anyways, like, you know, we just kind of going, coming back to the, the topic of chess a little bit. Yeah, I'm sorry. So, no, don't worry about it. Um, it. It's kind of like, I, I feel very much at my core with tournament play, but you can't kind of stay within that forever. And morally too, it's like, I remember Jennifer Zahade uh, put out a tweet, which, which really meant a lot to me, which basically said, like, what if being good at chess isn't about how, well, how good your rating is or how skilled you are, but it's about what you're doing with the game. And that's something that means a lot to me. You know? and, yes. I, de- I yeah. actually, I'm supposed to have her on in a month. And I was going to actually ask oh, really? her specifically about that tweet. So thank you for reminding me. Um, but no, I, com- I, I, I completely agree. You know, like that—that's something that you know. Especially as I've gotten more plugged into chess Twitter, I've kind of been surprised. Um, on one hand, I think the elitism, like across the community, is actually very low, but the people who are elitist are like so obnoxious about it that it kind of like takes over. And you know, like yeah, some people are really good, but you know, most people are not gonna ever even like sniff like fifteen hundred, and that's okay. You know, like. But mm-hmm. like, to what extent can you enrich your life or other people's lives with the game? And like that, and I agree, yeah. like, I think that's the focus that, that we should be looking on as a society. Like if you look, compare like Russia, where like chess is, or at least was as popular as like baseball or football, you know, where everybody had a little flair for it. I, you know, I think that's, it's, it's a socially enriching thing. And like mm-hmm. you said, it's a universal language. You know, somebody, um, somebody can play a game in Las Vegas and then you can bring that over to the other side of the country and, and two kids in Nigeria, for example, can relive the game on their board. Uh, that's pretty cool, you know? So, and I, so I, yeah, I completely agree with that point. I just want yeah. to say that. And, and like tournament play too. Uh, I don't know if you've actually like, do you, do you play, do you play USCF tournaments? Uh, yeah, I've played a few. I'm, I'm actually, I, so I actually just registered for a weekly Wednesday, like every Wednesday, I'm going to play like a 90 plus 30 until I leave to Denmark next month. So oh, hey. that, 
that's going to be interesting. Um, and then, yeah, this actually, as a recording, um, this weekend, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be playing one, um, probably Saturday. So yeah, fun stuff. <laughs> hey, best of luck to you, man. Best of luck I'm to not, you. I'm not good over the board. I've talked about this extensively on my podcast. I'm, you know, whatever, whatever rating I have online, like just divide by two. And that's, that's like where, where <laughs> it's I'm, funny. I'm, I'm kind of the opposite way, actually. Like, I, you know, I, I, you know, I'm, we have partners with like chess.com and chess kit, but I am like my over the board and my, I, I just cannot pay attention like online. I don't know what it is. I just like, it's so hard for me to take like that mindset of like playing in a tournament and playing online. So like my, you know, my over the board rating is like 1940 and, and I'm underrated. Like I, I'm, I play pretty regularly like 2000, but then I'll play online and I'm like barely hitting 1700. Like I don't, this doesn't make any sense to me. Wow. <laughs> but you know it's pretty funny like it, you know the chess community is so is so widespread and covers so many bases that stuff like that can happen it's still just as valid within within the community you know yeah and you know that's i think one aspect about chess that is so underrated like you know there are these rumblings about chess becoming an esport and you know while i don't think at this point i don't think chess really capitalized on that momentum uh yeah you have a couple of people signed to organizations but i don't think it capitalized but um just the international nature of the game is is so unique the, the the level of competition that you could like you talked about streams a little bit you could turn on a hikaru nakamura stream and he's playing some international master from vietnam uh and you know they both have pretty good connection because it's not like league of legends where you, you don't have high graphics capabilities you know what i mean it's like so yeah i mean i think that's that's something that is uh that's really special about chess that, that kind of then it's and going back um to our conversation from earlier uh, I also think that's what makes uh, chess such a like a fascinating thing to use as a way to enrich people's lives um, in underserved and uh, impoverished communities, for sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head there, man. I, I totally agree with you. Is there anything that you are you're, you're kind of like looking to do with your own chess in terms of you know maybe playing more tournaments, maybe a rating thing, or are you kind of more of like uh, in the mindset of, I just want to use this as a, as a thing to enrich other people's lives. Cause you're pretty good. Like 1900 is, is, you know, you're like close to top 1% of the country. You know, you, you, you know, you know how to move the horsey. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I know, I know that I know what on is. Um, I, I still don't know what on is. I'll be real with you. So. <laughs> I don't think I ever will. Fair enough, fair enough. I mean, who does, right. Who does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, in terms of like my goals, I think one thing that I, I also really uh really think about too is like being able to have my own like work life and being able like for example to do um like uh you know go to college get decent grades take my you know entrance exams to like postgrad and stuff like that those to me are just as important as chesses and honestly more you know because that's the type of thing long term that will support me playing chess um you know for example right now in merced um, it's hard for me to play a lot of tournaments and, um, you know, it's not like I'm going to direct a tournament just, just to put myself in it. You know, it's, you know, it's, you kind of find a bit of a balance. Right. And so, um, you know, one thing that I really plan on doing is, um, you know, I'll, I'll play tournaments and I'll, you know, try, try to, you know, keep that going. But my priority really is in, um, being able to kind of maintain my professional life and uh, also just 
provide the good where I can in chess and slums, you know, and that's been, that's been amazing. Honestly, it's, it's like, I, I, I don't really say this enough, but like being a part of that has, has genuinely changed my life, you know, and I, I've been, I've been incredibly grateful for the opportunity. You know? No, I mean, it's, 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 it's really, it's, it's like, uh, I think it's, it's something completely unique um, to the chess world. There's nothing like it. There's no, there's no analogy like of anything within chess. I've, I've just never seen any initiative like it. And it, and it does seem like you guys are doing exactly what you set out to do. So, I mean, I, I continue to just, I, I, I wish you guys all the best. I also, I'd love to have Tunde or other people on to keep talking about this because, uh, yeah, I think it's one of those things that is just, uh, it's very important to support however you can, whether there's just with a retweet or, or actually with something more tangible, but, um, yeah, no, I, I, I also really admire that work. Like I said, from the moment I, I, you know, week one on Twitter that I, I stumbled onto Tunde's, uh, uh, Twitter account from, from that moment on, I've, I've been following this story like as best as I can. And um, it's, yeah. it's just very inspirational too. I mean, I, I think from, because I'm, I'm pretty confident that, um, you know, a platform like, like yours, it almost like really solidifies and it can, and it can kind of help voices within the chess community, you know, like I'm, I'm always a huge fan of the, uh, the podcast format, you know, and, um, you know, it's something that in terms of like the work that I do, you know, I'm, I'm really committed to, and that's kind of why exciting. I reached out to you, I want to say like a few months ago or like a few weeks ago or a month ago or something like that. And I just said, you know, Hey, I I'm really committed to, you know, kind of helping, like helping you in however way I can and just helping support you, you know, and you know, it's kind of similar to my, my commitment, like super, like really long-term at Chess and Slums is like, hey, there are different ways in which you can voice that story, whether it's with a podcast, with a story that you're writing, with an interview that you're doing. And so, you know, this form being one of those, it, it's cool, you know, it's nice and I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I'll just say one thing, this is a little known fact about me, but I actually, um, basically before the pandemic, I hated podcasts. I, I hated them. I was like, I will never make one. I'm not going to be that, that Brooklyn guy with a podcast. Just don't, I don't want that to be me. Like, um, that's what I've become. Um, and you know, I mean, there's definitely like the, you know, the obnoxious podcasts that everybody listens to, whatever. Um, there's like podcast culture, but for me, I mean, I had always kind of appreciated the fact that chess is something so international and the fact that I've like just gotten to meet people over zoom for about an hour um from all over the world already like three continents um so far and counting um just to talk about chess talk about their lives share those stories it's something i don't take for granted it's just something i really enjoy i really just enjoy like talking about that and that's why i keep doing this thing because it's like i don't know what other time uh, like i don't know you you meet like there's so many like great people in chess that all have their stories they all have their ambitions they all have their their views on life and you can kind of just blend it all together into like one big hodgepodge of the, the culture the, the the state of the game as it is i think that that's really cool and certainly like there there needs to be a place too to like take that kind of culture and use it to enrich people's lives instead of just kind of being toxic on twitch you know <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. Uh, just, just hang on any Twitch chat, and, and you'll, yeah. <laughs> you'll identify what you're in there. Yeah. But yeah, that's all I had for for. I don't know if there's anything else you want to plug or anything else you want to talk about. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think I'll just leave with one final comment, just sure. to who are like really big fans of like either Chess and Slums, uh, Tunde, what we're doing. You know, it is like it's really beautiful because the the commitment that we have, and like you know, this is really something that Tunde, myself, all of the team members, this is something that we really see ourselves doing many years into the future. You know. But that's really highlighted by people who are supporting us, you know, and it allows that, that compassion that we have to translate, you know. And so, you know, just to thank those people um, and just to show appreciation for the fact that, you know, we appreciate the, 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 the true struggle that people are facing in the world. And uh, I don't really have too much to say beyond that. I mean, this was a, this was a wonderful podcast. And uh, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for coming on. I do have one more question, though, that I ask everybody. So you're not sure. you're not off the hook. I don't know. Okay, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So, the question. So Mr. Mister 1940 USCF, uh, who you, reads Chess and Foreman, um, right. I ask everybody. doesn't matter, you know, beginners, masters, doesn't matter. If you had, like, one opening, you had to teach anybody, what would it be and why? Yeah, so um, not many people know that know I played this opening, and I'm not, you know what I mean? I, I, I tend to keep my openings pretty close to my chest, but I'll say this. The one opening that people don't know that I play a ton of is the King's Gambit. I play a ton of it. Like, I have this book by, I, I have this book by uh, John Shaw uh, sitting on my nightstand, and it's like 600 pages long, and I'll just like, go over it. I have a ton of other like texts that I read, um, you know, on it. And it's like, you know, it's not like the top level opening. It's not like, you know, uh, great, super grand masters are going to play it, but you know, it's good. It's close to home. And, uh, you know, <laughs> so yeah, one E4, two E4, or one E4, one, uh, one E4, E5, and then two F4. There you go. <laughs> but bam. You just teach that to anybody. And why, why specifically the King's Gambit? Because, you know, somebody might say it's, uh, well, well, you should learn something more principled. <laughs> uh, I would say, number one, um, you know, like, the thing is about the King's Gambit is, like, it really brings out, like, the really, like, classical attacking chess. You know, because there's, like, attacking chess that kind of comes in the form of, like, strangling your opponent, you know, and, like, you know, yeah, sure, it's attacking, but it's not, like, trying to kill someone you know um but with the king's gambit it's just so, it's just such a bloodbath and just so exciting it feels very like to the roots of of chess as as like a historic game you know um and as like like when, when you're playing like as a kid you know like 1e4 e5 2 knight of three uh you know like nice six you know Ruy lopez blah 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 yeah 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 but, you know like I, well, I was thinking like uh you know like bishop c4 like uh g5 knight c3 like sack the queen in order to get like your knight to come into d5 and stuff like that like you go for all that type of stuff as a kid and like when you're like like just starting out playing but the king's gambit feels like that but for grown-ups a little bit you know mm -hmm. and it won't work for everybody but i i i still love it man I, <laughs> yeah I, it's not my style yeah. but i i there are those lines where you like sack like the bishop and the knight for like a crazy attack i, I forget what it's like the something gambit maybe the cozio gambit i don't i don't remember yeah but it's crazy a lot of, it's lot of yeah. yeah a lot of fun to uh a lot of fun <laughs> to watch
I had a, I had a friend who tried the, the King's Gambit and really had, had some nice wins. So, you know, but yeah, so there you go. Yeah. Long time listeners. You got, you've heard a lot of openings. You never heard the King's Gambit before. Maybe check that out on a blitz game. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm I'm not hating yeah, on the but, I'm not uh, hating on the King's Gambit. John Shaw's book. If, if any if any listeners want want a book, get John Shaw's King's Gambit book. That's the one that I recommend. So there you go. There's John Shaw's King's Gambit book. Um, Aaron, thanks so much for coming on. Hope to have you again. Uh, I hope to continue uh, telling these stories from Nigeria and beyond uh, as my podcast grows. I want to thank everybody for listening to this week's episode. Uh, like I said, you can follow me on Twitter at 64 podcast for my horrible chess takes. Um, you can follow Aaron on Twitter at AAR underscore T H O M. You can follow chess and slums on Twitter. Uh, you have to remind me what the handle is for that. I did not. Yeah, so it's uh, chess and it's like just the, it's just the name. Okay. So it's chess and slums at chess and slums. Yeah, it's yeah, at yeah. Chess and Slums. Uh, you can follow. Is, is, uh, t- yeah, I was going to say. Oh, uh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no problem. So, yeah, it's a little, little mix up. Uh, yeah, so Tunde is uh, T U N D E underscore O D. Yeah. Um, you can honestly probably find him if you search up Tunde in the search bar, but you know, just promoting him because that's like the center of a lot of our content and stuff. Sorry, I'm. <laughs> no, no <laughs> that's, the, that's the tough thing about Zoom is yeah, it's... when, right? Yeah, it can get a little, uh, it can get a little awkward. Um, yeah, so you like, 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 uh, like Aaron said, you can follow Tunde uh, at t u n d e underscore o d. If you want to continue following the stories, retweet their stuff, visit their website, especially when it's ready. Um, I'm hoping to maybe get in contact with somebody else from the program in a few weeks, few months, uh, and keep supporting how I can. And um, yeah, I think that's all. Uh, yeah, follow the podcast on Twitter at 64podcast. If you are enjoying what you hear, you can uh, subscribe on Patreon, 64podcast uh, on Patreon, only a dollar uh, to support. And um, last thing I'll say is uh, thanks to AimChess for sponsoring this episode and the podcast. Uh, yeah, I once again, thanks so much for coming on and uh, hope to see you again.